You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, we're back. Primal Radio, Tom. What's up, brother? I'm good. Just got back from work, drinking my big cup of tea. Excited. Always good to be on the show. You had to go back to work and make a living, you know. It, it couldn't uh, hang out forever, traveling the world, shooting guns all over. So I got some interesting feedback from the show last week. It was a good show, that quick show after the, the rerun. Of, uh, it was real good. Uh, Nick did a fantastic job, and it was good insight. So the interesting thing is, I don't know if you recall what I said, that when I recapped that show, that I thought McGregor was not on the second I saw him. And then Nick Portella had posted a clip of uh, Nick Diaz saying verbatim what I said. Yeah, a couple of uh, other the people t- said that as well. Right. So I wonder if they're listening to the show. <laughs> Big <laughs> <Or> they, <laughs> Nick Diaz. Or did they actually have their own opinion? Who the hell knows? But it was true. I just I, That was my take on it. And then uh, reading all the... The, the keyboard warriors all week. My God, everyone's got an opinion who it does nothing, you know? Yeah, agreed, agreed. And so here was the thing I wanted to address before we get our, 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 our guest on. So it's funny. I was talking to someone about the show. And, I, you know, if we go back a year, we've been doing the show over a year now, right? Just That's about? Right. Yeah. Is yeah. That I don't remember the first date of our first show. September. But. So I, you know, I came up with this and I asked you to be the co-host of the show. Right. And and you didn't know if you were going to do it, so on and so forth. You remember all this conversation, I do. right? I do. OK, so I don't reiterate all that. And then I'm talking to him about the show and how you're bossing me around and telling me what I need to do. I was like, who, who, when the fuck did you become the boss? You've created a when monster. Did this, <laughs> when did this happen? I don't recall. You know, all of a sudden I'm like, the you're like my we're like an old couple. You're my wife yelling at me. Sit down. <laughs> shut up. Do this. Yeah, it has gone that way. It's true. When did this happen? I don't know. Well, I, I've done it again this week, so I've booked another you guest. You did. Um, I know. You're just. Thinking, I'm just going to show up, <laughs> uh, be pretty for the audience. Like how we're on radio. That's your and role. Then, uh, that's your role. That's my role. I'm the eye candy of Primal Radio. So I'll introduce this week's guest. I know this man um, for his weapon specialism, uh, sixth degree black belt in rapid harness, which is a system everyone knows I study. But he's done a whole load of other stuff. Weapons is a specialism, but he's a very accomplished ground fighter. You know, he's done all sorts of stuff. I mean, the the list is endless. And we'll we'll touch on all of that throughout the show. Lovely guy, in-depth knowledge. Spent the weekend with him at the FMA Festival at the weekend. So welcome to the show, John Broster. Hi there. John, pleasure, brother. Nice to meet you. I love to do. I like to look. We get to get Tom to shave his head. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> it yeah. might not work for Tom. My first thing I wanted to sort of touch on is so we were having a little conversation on your business card. Your brand is tribal fighting arts, right? And yeah. you you were very against the word martial arts or the term martial arts. And some other guys feel the same way. What's caused okay. you to have that opinion? A couple of things. First. I must have, uh, yeah. So the first is that martial means mi- like military. It's almost suitable yeah. for war. And most most things that are called martial arts aren't. So judo, Thai boxing, they're good for fighting, but they're not martial. Wing Chun Kung Fu is never designed to be a military art. And so 
a lot of things that people call martial arts are not martial arts. Martial arts would be like bayonet drills and this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Or like samurai martial arts are military in nature. So the things that I'm involved in are not military as such, they're for fighting. And so there's that. But also I think when I was a kid, if you had a black belt in a martial art, you were you were like a, a, a dangerous individual, you know, you know, muggers beware. And now martial arts is like, kind of it's a thing that kids do when they think they go to a football club or they go to a chess club or they do martial arts and your average black belt in taekwondo is like 12 do, you know do, do you it? think you're sort of like reminiscing there a little bit or is it you know are you glorifying the past or do you really think the standards have just gone down the toilet well i mean i trained brazilian jiu-jitsu and in brazilian jiu-jitsu you and judo in this country is another good example you cannot have a black belt until you're 16 and you're training with and fighting against adults right yeah. so but if you're a 12 year old who's got a black belt in Taekwondo, your average adult who's not trained could just, I don't say they want to, but could beat them in a fight easily. Sure. <laughs> you know, is that sure. how you got your fearsome reputation, fighting 12 year old black belts? <laughs> no. But to my mind, having a black belt <laughs> should convey some level of expertise and an ability to deal sure. with, you know, an assailant. And your average 12 year old is not equipped to deal with an adult assailant. So, much as good as they can be, that's where it stands. I was at a, a judo grading once, and judo grading in this country, you have to f- fight people who are going for the same grade. And so right. it's self-selecting. You know, people, the good people come through and people not as good or not ready don't get it. Right. And I was over to one side. I think I was getting my, I can't remember what, I was getting my green belt, I think. And suddenly there was a thunderous noise. And this is a big grading. This used to be at Cannock Chase Leisure Centre, which is kind of just north of Birmingham. Yeah. And everybody stopped and looked up. And you're talking a mat, which would be like two five-a-side football pitches, a big area, you know, a very big yeah. leisure centre. And there's this big guy, maybe 18 stone, lying on the floor. And there was a kid in a green belt standing over him. Okay. Nice. And this kid has got a lineup in front of him. So if he fights 10, black, 10 brown belts and black belts and beats them all one at a time, then he gets his black belt there and then. He doesn't have to collect points over the course of time. But he's wearing a green belt because he's under 16, but his teachers have graded him technically to brown belt, so he's a green belt with a brown stripe. And now he's just stepped up. He's crossed. He's had his 16th birthday. He goes next grading and went through adults, all of whom are bigger than him, like a dose of salts. Yeah, speed them all up. He turned around a moment later and he got a GBR gi on. So he's a Great Britain Junior International. Yeah. Right. So he went straight for it. Now, he is clearly a kid who can handle himself. But at that point, he hadn't got his black belt. He was not allowed to have a black belt right. until he's 16. And I think that's really how it should be. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, the, you know I, I agree 100 percent. Unfortunately, in the you know, it has become a real business. And for those guys to survive, that's why it's done that way. I mean, that's the bottom line. There's no, yeah. you know, they, it is. And it, it, it lessens the quality of all of us at some level, uh, without a doubt. I mean, that's, there's a million, I don't know how it is in the UK, but you can go Much down. better than the US. <laughs> of course, well, of course. And, uh, you know, right in my own town, uh, we have like 85,000 people in the town that I live in. It's a decent sized town. And, um, I bet you there's 10, you know, just karate schools that are essentially what you're talking about. You know, it's all kids based and junior black belts. And and I got to tell you what, these guys, my chair was stuck. These guys are laughing at the money I make (laughs) because they line those motherfuckers up. And every three months, mom and dad, you know, they pay for a belt test. And these 
these guys are laughing at me from their yacht. So uh, maybe they're black belts in uh, making money. <laughs> yeah. John, on, on the like, a lot of people dislike the art name. I can think of people yeah. like Tim Tackett. I'm not into the art, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the Marshall name, you've cut that bit out, which for me is like yeah. warlike, and that's exactly what it should be. But you're basically saying, but everyone's calling it that, and it's not warlike. But the art yeah. bit for me, for me, is about self-expression and skill, and you need both of those things to have black belt: warlike and skill. Yeah, and I think art. Is, is well, and art is one of those things like music is very difficult to define what exactly is art, what is music, this kind of thing. But to my mind, art is something that can't be exactly replicated over and over again. You get close. So if you had an artist and they, they paint a landscape, it is not exactly the same. If they went and did the painted the same one again, it's not going to be exactly the same, even though it might be very good. And that's kind of, and there's an element of self expression in there and use of the given tools and the media of um, art. So when it comes to martial arts, yeah, there's an element of self-expression. A tall, thin guy is going to do it differently. Right. Than a little of short course. guy. Sure. You know? And so it's not about like being a photocopier of, 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 of fighting techniques. It's about employing them appropriately for yourself. You know, right. learning, Absolutely. To use, learning to use the tools correctly, which is kind of an art. It's absolutely an art. You can't teach everybody the same way, and there's no way. I'm 220, uh, a little less, 220 pounds, thick dude. You got to train me differently than you train Tom or someone who's five foot five, right? And if you don't do that, there's going to be an issue for one of us, depending on what you're teaching us, right? So that's right. You're absolutely, that's where the art comes in, and it cannot be exactly replicated or duplicated, nor should it be, by the way, but, (laughs) but you're absolutely right. So, so take us take us back to you're a kid um, and you started yeah. with judo, right? Well, when I was a kid, that was all you could do. There wasn't anything else. Only judo. That's what yeah. I started in, by the way. Yeah. So I was I was born 1970. So kung Ooh. fu kung yeah. fu belonged in movies. That was it. There was you that know was it, karate right? was an exotic art in this country. So judo till I was from I don't know five six years, then from when I was maybe ten till fifteen nothing. BMX racing. When I was 15, I thought a lot about this. Why was I looking in the local paper? It's not something I'd ever do. I'm guessing I was probably looking for what was on the cinema because this is 1985. There was no internet. And I saw an advert for kickboxing and I don't know. I thought that sounds cool. And I went along and did that. And the guy who taught me was truly awesome. A guy called George Wellington. Um, For anyone in Britain who's in semi-contact, they'll have heard the names of Alfie Lewis. Yeah. Alfie Lewis was the the absolute best semi-contact fighter in the world and George was his teacher and I trained with him for a couple of years and then he went home ill after work, after training and dropped dead he had a heart wow. defect wow and how did that affect you do you well, close to this guy no 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 not at all but I mean I still kick exactly the same way he taught me mm. so you know 33 years later I'm still doing intensity if I was sparring kickboxing style it would be what I learned there and then so I, I met a, I met a guy, a friend of a friend, and he said you should come do karate with me. It's it's great. And so I went. He only did it for two lessons and then left. And I carried on doing that for a couple of years. I went to university in London, and I always wanted to do laogar because that's what George had come from. And I walked out of my house one day. There was a laogar advert on the lamppost outside my house. And so I did laogar the whole way through university. I did a degree in German, so I went to live in Germany for a year. Did Wing Chun and Screamer. Got back to England, more Laogar. I would never have stopped, but I blew my knee out playing rugby league and um, I couldn't even walk. 
And I thought, mm. I know, I'll do a little bit more of that stick fighting until my knee gets better. And that was 1993. I went to Bob Breen's place in London. <laughs> and I said, I want to take, um, I want to learn a screamer. And they said, yeah, great. You come to the right place. The teacher here is a world champion. I said, yeah, Bob Breen. They went, no, Pat O'Malley. And I said, who's that? That was the summer of 1993. And genuinely, one lesson was enough for me to think, right, this is what I'm doing. I went back to the Laugard people. And I, Laugard had to take a bit of a back on the rest because I couldn't kick properly anymore. But um, I went back to the Laugard people said, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm doing a screamer now. So, so that's, that's real interesting. So, so um, we just had like the 25-year anniversary and it was a Rapid Arnest was set up in 1993. So you were there at the eve, the dawn of Rapid Arnest. And obviously Pat had gone off and done other stuff, but like, or sorry, yeah. been doing stuff. And it was, it was then when he chose to create the yeah. system. What was happening then? What was it like back then? Okay, so when I first started training, Pat was the screamer teacher at Bob Breen's Academy. Okay, so two nights a week, and I want to say from memory, it was Tuesdays and Thursdays, Pat would teach a screamer there. And there was JKD classes going on and stuff, but he taught the screamer. I just used to go do that. And I'd been there only a short while, like one or two months, when I turned up and Pat wasn't there. Um, it was Simon Wells teaching the lesson. Yeah. Okay. And Sam Wells was there at the FMA Festival the other weekend. He's absolutely awesome. Amazing guy. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm trying um, to get him on the show, but he's too shy. <laughs> yeah. So people were saying to me the other day, who should we train with? Who's good? I said, go and train with Simon. I don't think anyone will be disappointed at all. So he taught, he taught the class for maybe two or three weeks. And then he left because it was, it was a scheduling thing. And after a short break, a guy called Terry Barnett, who's um, one of the most senior JKD guys in the country, started yeah. teaching the class. So I trained with him and I carried on training with him for the next year, 18 months, something like that. In the meantime, I found out where Pat had got to. So I started training with him again. So I was doing the two in parallel. And all the, this time I was a dispatch rider. I used to ride a push bike in London. And so I used to literally ride around with my sticks on my back all day and then go and train every single day. Wow. So because Pat would have classes all around London. In Brick Lane, there was a place at Brady Centre just off Brick Lane. He had class over in Hammersmith. And then I'd train at the Bob Breen's place. And I just train. I never had to practice because I just train every day. You guys, you Simon Wells and Pat used to have the Black Eagle Society. Um, okay, and yeah. you're the only sort of remaining active member of that. And this, this, if you remember, Jim, is the thing where the guys do, going hit each other with hit with sticks, but with no padding or protection. Right. So it's pretty mental. They go to like a park in Enfield. I mean, t- tell yeah. us about that and why, why you keep doing it. I mean, are you not too old? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going back to the tribal fighting arts thing yeah yeah i think if you're doing it and you're not doing it for fighting you kind of why are you not doing it i'm not saying i want to go and have fights but i want to know that what i'm doing is at least reasonably functional sure and so it's i guess it's like the old cliche of you know can you learn to swim without getting in the water Uh, can you learn to ski without going on a mountain in snow i'm quite a good skier and i don't think you can so can you learn to fight without actually having a fight and pat had mentioned that they were doing this and it was up um in barnet the first time in some woods and my girlfriend was talking to me before she's where are you going i said i'm going i'll do some fighting what do you mean fighting and um she's like she didn't want me to go and eventually i convinced her it was okay i wasn't gonna get arrested or something (laughs) so i jumped on my bike i was on my motorbike and rode there and the, the meeting place they'd all gone 
And I yeah. was like, oh no, I've missed it. And so I pulled up Major Z and looked, there's some woods nearby. I knew it was in some woods. So I was literally riding around these woods on my um, 900cc Yamaha <laughs> and um, I found them. So there's a video of it and this guy rides up on a motorbike and it's me. Right, right, and, right. But it, I mean, I hesitate to say it's addictive. It, it, it is because the first time, I remember after the first bike, my shoelaces was undone and my hands were shaking like this. You know, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't tie right. it up. It, I do it again. You do it again, and it's kind of nothing. You just get used to it. It's like immersion therapy or something. I don't know. Did you ever have like members of the public wander through and think you, you got you know catch sight of you guys having these mad fights? Well, it's funny you say that. Um, there's a video up on YouTube. If you put in Nottingham stick fighting gathering, I put stick fighting as one word, and we're fighting in a park, Colic Park, which is just off the centre of Nottingham, and um, but we're fighting with padded sticks. Yeah. just in this park and a, a couple of students of mine a few other people turned up and we're just sparring with sticks a little bit of grappling and stuff as well kicking and punching and people are walking their dogs looking at us like we're demented and they're coming up is this legal you know we're like why wouldn't it be you know just carried on doing it it was good you know it's um so yeah there's people come and watch and sort of wonder what it is but and and they they'd never most people have never heard of a screamer so it's kind of you know, tell them what it is a little bit, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's how, how do you handle yourself under pressure? You know, can you, can you do what you think you can do? And you soon learn the way you get taught is not quite what happens in real life. And, and what was it about the weapons that sort of, um, what, you know, why did you go for the weapons? A lot of people don't think they need them. And, you know, in the UK, it's not, not everyone's tooled up. But what, what, why did you feel the need to, to do that? Was it just because you met Pat or? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I got into it because I say because I wrecked my knee. I tore my ACL playing rugby league, and um, and it seemed like that would be something I could do, which had no kicking in it. I could do it because, you know, I could just stand there and hit stuff with my stick. I obviously didn't really know what I was getting into, and so I've just carried on with it from that. And it kind of branched out into obviously you can do empty hands or do some salat as well. And so I didn't get into it because of the weapon. I got into it because I could do it, and I just enjoyed it a lot. So carried on with it. And then some, some of the other stuff that you've, you've sort of got into, Serada, a screamer, Silat, some of these other styles. T- t- tell us a bit about them and how you came across those things. Okay, so when I was training with Pat, I'd been training with him for maybe a year. When I first started, so he's talking like 94 now. The, Bob Breen's place in London, in Oxton Square, would be like a, a sort of centre for JKD in, in Britain. But I was not, I'd never been a JKD person. But he would get really good instructors, and he had a guy called Mikey Nay come over. And Mike and A had been one of a pattern train with him a lot. So I would I would go to the seminars with Mike and A and he would typically teach in a Serrado Screamer, which is his, his version of Serrado Screamer, which because he'd learned it from Angel Kabbalah. So Kabbalah Serrado Screamer. So I, I, I went to a seminar for a weekend, learned a load of stuff, thought it was good. I bought literally the following couple of days, bought the videos and just learned it all. Taught myself. Went back a year later and he's like, hey, you got really good at this. So we learned more. And then he died, you know. And a few years later, so I was living in Nottingham by then, um, Krishna Gadina had um, Mark Wiley over. And I, I'd kind of encountered Mark Wiley on the internet. He'd emailed me to thank me for a comment I'd made about his books. But um, he came over and then Alan Orr started bringing him over to um, the north of England, to York. And I would go and train, and he would always teach Serrado Screamer. And he looked at me and said, you see, you do Ineana Screamer. And I'm like, no. 
And he said, oh, your footwork's the Inayan way. And so he told me to do the footwork differently. And so, and I've trained with him ever since. I haven't seen him for a few years now, but um, so he would come over to England and I would take him around to teach Serada in Doncaster and Leicester. And I always feel that Rapid Arnese is a really awesome way to start doing a scream because it's got everything in it. Single stick, double stick, stick and knife, knife, empty hands. And it's kind of really broad. Whereas Serada is just single stick. And it's much more deep. It's like an in-depth study of one thing. So when people come to me, they want to learn a screamer. I typically teach them Serada. And we'll do that for maybe a year. And then broaden out and use some of the ways, the skill progressions from Serada into, say, double stick or knife and this kind of stuff. And I think it's a really good partnership. They, they fit together really, really well. So that's the Serada. I've trained quite a lot. I, um, when I, again, when I first started training with Pat, just thought this stuff is awesome and I used to go up to Stoke-on-Trent quite a lot to train at um, Dave Carnell's place Impact Academy and he'd get good people over and he'd bring Cass Magda over quite a lot yeah and yeah. And, and the training would typically be the first couple of hours they'd do the sort of more like OJKD stuff and then get rid of that I'm not, I'm not really interested in it yeah, I know you yeah. are but the rest of the weekend would be all what they call Carly and Salat and it was awesome. And, I, and I'd been to you know, a few of these and thought, I've really got to do this Salat thing. I'd always been interested. And so I got, this would be kind of the late 90s, like 95, 99, something like that, 98. I got every martial arts magazine I ever owned, stacked them all up and flipped through them all to find every phone number I could for a um, Salat. And these are all over the country and most of the numbers are disconnected. And I found a guy in Doncaster, which was just over half an hour from me. And the following week, I started training. And it was totally different from what I thought it was. Because the Surat, the Surat that the JKD people didn't do is booked in Nagara, which is very upright. Right. And the Surat that I was learning was um, Manankar Boharamau from Richard de Bords, And it's really low. And I remember the first, in the middle of the lesson, the guy who was teaching Chaz turned around and said, if it's hard on your legs, don't we can sit out. And I'm thinking, I'm not sitting out. I can cope with this. The following day, I couldn't walk. You know, I couldn't get to walk down the stairs. I had to like fall on the floor and slide down the stairs. I would hurt, my legs were hurting so much, and uh, carried on doing that for a, you know a long time. And some of these other other styles. I mean, Casey, I've seen you studying that a lot recently. Uh, I know yeah. you train people like Moore as well. Yeah, I've, tra- I've trained a little bit more, but that but um, the Casey stuff, I really I really like. It's kind of I think they have really good ways of training for sensible stuff. So I mean, I went to a seminar once, and it was in a nightclub. Yeah. It was in the daytime, but it was in, they'd got a nightclub and and it's kind of you think well and there's the little low tables and stuff and there's there's the padding around the bar and the, the the actual bar was there and we're training in there doing pad drills prism riot drills all these kind of things and you think yeah when when would you ever get mugged in a leisure centre or was was martial arts school but you could ever get in a fight in a um in a in a nightclub so it seems like they've got a good handle on things I do I do like that and. Um, when and whenever possible, I train with the dog brothers as well. I like that stuff. So I train with Benjamin Ritten a couple of times and Mark Denny yeah. a few times. So you know, I, I I like to see what other people have. I know what I do. I've trained with a lot of different screaming people in different styles, and I tend to kind of think I want things that fit into what I already do. I'm not going to change what I do wholesale. So that's how I work. And the BJJ, that's something I, I always feel like you sort of silently do that in the background, and it sort of just cruises along yeah. and you're getting better and better Absolutely. at that as well. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm a brown belt from David Morsegal, so David George. And, um, you know, I've, I, I trained, I, I did a lot of judo as a kid and then stopped 
and then I was at university and a friend of a friend was in, wanted somebody to go to judo lessons with him because he'd done judo. I think he was from Singapore and he'd done a bit of judo. He wanted somebody to go with him. Again, he went to one lesson and then never came back. And so I carried on doing some judo then. And then when the UFC started, I can remember watching it thinking, well, I can do that. That's what that's judo, what they're doing. And so I kind of got into into it that way. And I had some uh, MMA matches. In those days, it would be amateur ballet tudo. So it was bare knuckles, but no headshots. That was quite that was quite fun. You know, I enjoyed mm. that a lot. In fact, the only guy that ever beat me has been the UFC. <laughs> so, a guy called James Zickick, who um, um, he was in the first UFC card in England. He's had a fight with, he had a draw against Victor Belfort as well. He beat me up three times, basically. But um, that was always, it was always good. And then the end of around 2000, I still got a really bad back problem. And this was from um, being taken down by a student when I was teaching a screamer. He took me down very suddenly. I didn't break my fall at all. And I got sort of a bit of a scoliosis going on. And they did a load of tests and scans and they realised I'd broken my back. But I'd done it when I was a kid. And so, and I'd been walking around for, for like 15, 20 years with a broken back. And I didn't know. It was not really broken. One of the nobles at the bottom, my spinous process has snapped off. So my surgeon was saying, right, you need to do exercise. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a problem. I do a lot of exercise. I do um, Thai boxing and um, judo. And his face was a picture. You know, no, no, you've got to go swimming, go for a walk. So at that point, I had to stop doing judo. And I didn't do any more for, you know, um, nine years. And then one day, it was this guy used to come and train me every day. He said his brother had suddenly, every Friday, sorry, not every day. His brother had suddenly got into martial arts and he was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that was, and, and I said, oh, where does he do it? I'm thinking, I don't really, I haven't followed it for a few years. And it had grown quite a lot in between. And um in Nottingham so that was on a Friday afternoon on the Monday I went and started training in jiu-jitsu and um, the, the problem I have with grappling is uh, uh, the training for takedowns is not going to do me any good but um, so yeah I trained jiu-jitsu at one point I was training kind of five times a week and I was British Open champion a couple of times but um, let's be clear British Open champion as a white belt so I was the best old age beginner okay <laughs> so over, I think I was kind of 42 and I was a white belt and so my teacher gave me my blue belt a year later, nice. I went back and I won it as a blue belt. So I was the best old age intermediate. And then I went and I went in a purple as a purple belt a few years later and woke up on the mat. A guy choked me unconscious. Oh, nice. so, but you know, it's it's uh, I, I just enjoy the training. It's not it's not something I'm ever going to promote as I'm teaching it because I know so many people who are a lot better than me. But I'm kind of I'm okay. You've studied what I call quite a lot of traditional martial arts. Yeah. To a certain extent, those are going out of fashion, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, it's all yeah. about Krav Maga and all this kind of thing. Um, what do you feel people get out of doing a traditional martial arts system that they maybe don't get through doing the likes of Krav Maga or combat sports like, you know, boxing, Muay Thai, etc., etc.? Why should people right. still go to a traditional system? You see, I think the word traditional is kind of misused because I think Thai boxing is traditional. You go, you go and watch a proper Thai boxing match. Yeah, true. They're doing the yeah. white it's real traditional, yeah. And there's the music. It's clearly very, very traditional. They, it's, 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 it's changed a little bit, modernised with gloves and, and all this, but it's basically as it's been for a long time. Whereas I think, if you, I tell you what, the good thing to do, find a, a really old jiu-jitsu book, a jiu-jitsu book from the turn of the last century, from, you know, from 100 years ago. Yeah. And what are they wearing? They're wearing geese that are short sleeves. So the sleeves are coming kind of mid-arm and they've got like shorts or tights on. Yeah. And so anyone who's telling you that a judo uniform or a karate uniform is traditional is simply wrong. You know, it's, it's a modern invention. 
you know so what's traditional martial arts is to my mind traditional fighting arts however you want to put it is about learning to look after yourself your family that kind of thing and so that and these things are often stood the test of time Thai boxing is a great example it hasn't it's not suddenly they're going to learn to punch differently because it's like somebody else does it better they might kind of polish it a little bit with some boxing yeah. but that's what i think is and i really feel with a lot of the sort of more modern combative things people are just reinventing the wheel and it is an exercise in kind of branding it's not i feel like right. if, you, if you find somebody who's really good at a traditional system and who can fight because there's a lot of people in traditional systems who can't you don't need to go and live krav maga i have a friend and hey dave dave levette in uh, redford if you want to learn traditional kung fu Redford, which is just south of Doncaster, that guy is like a kung fu movie. He can do it for real. Yeah. And he, he you know, he'd crab my go if you can do what he does. So you might say, we traditional martial arts, how does the Casey stuff tie in with that? But I see the Casey is traditional. It's just they don't wear uniforms, but they're learning to fight. That's what it's all about, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's fight and it's having an open mind. And, and you've got to think before kind of, I guess, the 80s. There was no way of knowing what other people did. You know, right. now go and look on YouTube, you can buy a DVD, download a video, whatever, and you can see exactly what some other guy does. You can see what right. other guy does. Before that, it was all guesswork. And so most guesswork. martial arts, most fighting arts work best against themselves because the karate guys were training against karate guys. They don't know how a kickboxer punches, although Wing Chun guy punches, do they? You know? And so traditional is about learning to deal with the unknown and it's about dealing with things as best you can and if you kind of uh, you tell you telling me if some guy sort of was walking through the forest hunting and he came across some guys from another village and they were training and he saw the oh wait a minute these guys kick as well as punch oh no but we don't do that because because we're, we're punchers that's it's bollocks isn't it they yeah. do anything that works as long as it fits in so for oh, me yeah. traditional martial arts is basically learning to fight effectively learning to control yourself as well but I think a lot of things that people talk about in martial arts, you know, it's good for self-discipline and stuff. If you, if, you, if you stick the course, yeah, of course it is. But that's the primary function is fighting and not, you know. I was training with the Lightning Scientific people a while ago, and they have two rules about fighting. Did he hit you? Did you hit him back? If the answers are no and yes, then it's correct. <laughs> you know, what more do you need? He's, I didn't let him hit me, and I hit him. He tried, stopped him, I hit him back. That is what fighting is all about. That summarises traditional martial arts to my mind. Yes, that makes sense. What, what for you is like the biggest problem in martial arts right now? What, what are you seeing out there that's maybe changed from when you started? If things getting worse, better? What's 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 uh? I think I think a big a big thing, and it's it's a small thing, is like the sort of um, people that they won't look at outside what they do. So when I was a kid, I'm guessing like 1985 when I started training. There's probably like five big martial arts organisations in Britain. Yeah. And now there's hundreds, yeah. you know, and I'm, I was thinking about I, when I first went and trained with um, Cass Magda, there's probably about 50, 60 people. There. So there's 60 people. Now, about half of those were Dave Cannell students and about a quarter were people who were like his affiliates. And the other quarter of the people in the room were just people who'd seen the advert and went. But the last time I went and trained, I was the only person there who was not one of Dave Cannell's students. And I think people expect they don't want to look outside what they do and they want to just have everything presented to them. And irrespective of how good your instructor is, you know, it's um, you need to broaden your horizons. And I think it's a pity that although things you're not got these five organizations and you're not allowed to train with other people anymore, 
it's kind of it's it's almost more like that that people stay within them within their little group and we're right and they're wrong that's just not, not nonsense nobody's got all the answers i wanted to ask you about the endurance racing side of things and all these activities okay. that you do like what yeah. Why has that become so big for you? Why are you always setting yourselves personal challenges that, you know, you're always on for the next big thing, aren't you? Uh, maybe. I'll tell you why. I started, um, I used I used to have a different job altogether. And four and a half years ago, I started working for the company that owns, I work for a company called VF. It's the company that owns Timberland and Vans. Okay. Yeah. And I've gone from being out and about on my feet a lot to working in an office. And I used to train jujitsu, I say a lot, at lunchtime, wherever I was, I'd know where to go and train jujitsu at lunchtime. And that I wasn't doing that anymore. And I thought, I'm just going to get really fat sitting here. So I thought, I'd been looking there a few weeks and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run into the city centre and round in a triangle. I don't know how long it'll take me. I've never really run at all. I used to play rugby, but, you know, I didn't do a lot of any distance running. I thought, I'll do that run. And if it takes me on 20 minutes, I need to turn around and come back. And it took me about, I'd got back to my office in about 25 minutes. I thought, great. And I did it another, and again and again. I just kept doing it. And and I started to quite enjoy it, and I'm think, and then it started. I'd gone from quite enjoying it to if I didn't do it for some reason, like I got a meeting and it was kind of inconvenient, I'd feel really bad that I'd missed my run. And then I was in the supermarket one day, and I saw a magazine, obstacle racing magazine. I was looking for my wife's yoga magazine at the time, but and I thought, well, what's that all about? And I opened it up, and it was about Spartan race and this kind of stuff. And I thought yeah. that sounds great. I want to do it. So I entered one and. I think the mixture of jujitsu training for grip strength and running is really good. So I've done it. I've always been okay in my age group. I always quite, do quite well. I've qualified for the OCR World Championships, which is um, a week on Saturday. So I should be in that. And I'm never going to be the fastest runner, but I can keep going. And so it's, it's not much of a jump then from going, you know, like doing obstacle racing, running like half marathons at the weekend just for training into ultramarathons and last year we did a 50 miler you know 50 miles you did 50 miles yeah i did that why the, 50. why the fuck would you do that <laughs> <laughs> because it was there there's what the where, fuck i mean i didn't know you ran that far well there's a place we've gone on holiday called the gower which is absolutely beautiful it's um south wales it's a peninsula that sticks out from swansea and i'd run you know do the runs there so the first time i ever ran a marathon by myself was there and um I found that they had a, a race that goes right around the peninsula and it's, it's 80 kilometers, 50 miles. Oh, so, shit. you know, I signed up for it. And uh, so a year ago, first weekend of October last year. Yeah, I did that. No, I was one of the last finishers, but I did. Finish. It, 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 look, I don't want to run down to the liquor store, you know, so what, what hurt, wait, hang on. What hurt, what hurts the most when you're doing this, what's going through your mind? When do you say, what the fuck was I thinking? Is it, is there a pain? Is it, is it a mind fuck? Uh, what's going on? No, it doesn't hurt when you're doing it. I mean, I can remember at one point I had a thousand calories in about 10 minutes. I ate several bags of sweets just to keep wow. going. Really? You were that fatigued from it? Yeah. I mean, you just have to keep, because you, you've got to eat while you're running and it's difficult, you know? So When do you hit the wall on a 50 miler? What, for you personally, when would you hit that wall that they always talk about? No, you, you hit the wall because you're running, you're, tra- you're exercising anaerobically, so you're burning sugar off. Yeah. And when you run out of sugar, 
you just crash. I've done it. I did it on a training run. I set out to run a short uh, to the next village from where I live along a trail. And I got there and thought, that's not far enough. So I kept going and I ran about half a half marathon, but I hadn't eaten anything for hours. And I crashed on the way home and it was dreadful. And so that's when I found out about what this actually means. So if you're eating consistently, you know, so did, like, a couple of years ago, I did a 12 hour obstacle race where you, you keep going, how far can you go in um, in uh, 12 hours? As long as you're eating consistently. So every every circuit, I have an energy down the Mars bar. It's fine. You just keep going. <laughs> well, look, yeah, that's right. That's stuff. So now when you're training all these guys, you get to meet, you know, Tom and whoever else it is. Um, like, for example, for you, like I know Tom just, did you go to the Philippines with, with, with just recently with Tom for his? No, I didn't. Uh, no. You didn't go. Was it because you you didn't think he could do it, or you? <laughs> or, no, or, I mean, or, or are you being supportive? What kind of a coach are you? Are you are you you beat him down verbally and physically, or do you do you encourage well, him? And, and it's right. Tom and his, Tom and those guys train with Pat, and I'm although I'm in the same right. association organization, I'm not directly involved with them. I do occasionally. Thank God, right? Lecter when they're training there. And um, they had the the thing off to the Philippines, and I'm thinking, if I had a load of cash sitting around, I've got other priorities in life rather than going. To well, you got to stop running 50 miles. <laughs> 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 That's for all those sneakers. So now, how so when you see Tom, like, is is there is there hope for him? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I, I always look, I always look at myself in martial arts. I, yeah. When I first when I first started training in martial arts, I was rubbish. Absolutely. I am the archetypal white belt that didn't give up. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so, but, but he's, you know, he's good. So, you know, it's a matter of just keep going and then, yeah, just keep training and, and train sensibly and take advice Show from up. people who've been doing it before. Pat right. made a point to me where he said, he said, the people who, who are, say, really naturally talented, they pick yeah. things up really quickly and then they forget it. Whereas the guys yeah. who maybe make a bit more of a meal of it, and I would class put myself in that category, once they get it, it stays there. You know, like you and, and like Jim, I think, you know, we've, we're all those guys, you know, a, white, a black belt is a white belt that didn't give up to do that right. quote. Well, I, I remember um, a guy, a rugby league player, I once heard him say, it was a guy called Tim Wilby, who was a, he's, he's English, but he played professionally in Australia, which at that point was quite rare. I heard him say, there's three kinds of people. And I'll, ask, I'll, I'll put it in his accent. There's them as got it, and them as wants it, and them as got it and wants it, and them's playing for Britain, right? There's the people who've got talent, and there's the people who want talent, and there's the people who've got talent and want it. Now, the first two groups are kind of you want it, you, the people who are good and just kind of cruise through, yeah. and then there's yeah. the people who um, are really trying, but they're not really kind of got it. But the people who love it. And are naturally talented. They're the ones who are playing for Great Britain. Yeah, like LeBron James in basketball, or you know, a, a nat- real natural talent. That guy. I saw. I was reading an article about Ian Wright's son. Ian Wright yeah. used to play for Arsenal. Yeah? yeah. His son is the most valuable player in soccer in the USA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bradley Wright Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, and he said that his life consisted of kind of waking up at lunchtime, eating pizza, go train play Xbox all night and then go to bed at like seven o'clock in the morning. And he just wow. was wasting his talent. And then somebody gave him an opportunity to go to America. And so now, and so he's taken his talent and he's put the hard work to it. And now he's doing the right thing. 
Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. He, he's been really successful out there. I've seen, seen him play actually over there. In, in, in he's in New Jersey. Who are the guys you really respect out there? Who's the guys you like? Kind of keep an eye out for. Oh, you mentioned more money earlier on. He's really, really good. I like watching the stuff he does. He's a nice guy as well. So you know, tick two boxes. Obviously, I like doing the Casey stuff, and I'll always if I get whenever I get a chance to go and train with Husto Degres. You know, I would heartily recommend going to train with this guy because he's not the biggest guy in the world he's I don't know five six or something you do not have to train with him for very long to see him move and you think yeah this guy can take care of himself yeah he's serious I mean obviously in America I've trained quite a lot with Mark Wiley and if you're in America and you want to learn a screamer he's in Philadelphia um go and look him up he is absolutely awesome and I'll put it like this Mark is the same age as me I think he's a few months older all right we'd be the same year at school and I, I remember picking up his book in Dillon's, which would be Waterstones now, in Notting Hill in London. And and it said, uh, Filipino martial arts, the one with the black cover, Kabbalah Serrata, a scream. I picked it up, thought I haven't seen that one. As well as dispatch ride, and put it in my bag and I read it for the rest of the day. And this guy's saying he's a master of a screamer. Yeah? And he was the same age as me. And I've been training for like a year. Yeah. And I've, I've got to, I've got to meet this guy. How good, how good is he? And he's been to the Philippines. He's done it. He's like Pat. He's seen it. He's done it. He's trained with the good people. He's gone back. He's done more. And he is incredibly good. And he was doing a seminar in Doncaster a few years ago and I was helping him out. And we're doing what we call flow sparring, which would be like, if you wrap it down east, it's like a media contrada. Yeah. And he's commentating on it while we're doing it. Yeah, I'm going kind of as fast as I can. And he's commentating on it, telling the others, telling the students what we're doing. And then I kind of cheated. I did a technique which wasn't from Serada. It's more like a Pakiti Tertia thing. Yeah. And I caught him round the ear. And he went, hey, gee, that was pretty cool. Right. <laughs> and then he stopped commentating. <laughs> and changed up a couple of gears and just started hitting me freely. Bum, 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 bum. And I could not even begin to cope with what he's doing. Yeah. And yet... You know, if you see him, he doesn't look like some badass. You know, he's a, he's a small guy, but he is incredibly good. And he's a master serrata screamer. He teaches um, Carlos Elastrissimo. He's not, has the full system of several others. He's incredibly good. Jim, yeah, I know. are you familiar with him? He's at Philly, your area. Yeah, yeah, he's right. I know, I know. He's right down the road. And then, obviously, I've trained with really good guys pretty much always. Mark, I looked him up, but the rest, I've, I've trained with good guys by accident. So I've trained with Pat by accident. And I've no questions, no doubt in my mind that Pat is one of the best screwing people in Europe. So I just got him by accident. But it, you want to see he can do it and he can teach it. What, yeah. what more do you need in a teacher? I mean, if you're in Scotland, there's a guy in Glasgow. Now, any JKD people will know about Edgar Sulate. He used to be Danny Santos' teacher. OK, and he died. And I mean, to put it in context, this is going back to about 1995, 96, that kind of era. Pat had booked him to come over to England to do a seminar. And he went back to the Philippines and he died of um, a stroke. You know, he had a heart, a large heart problem and he died, you know. But Edgar's, Edgar got into Edgar used to do karate and he got into a screamer because of his best friend, John Pueblos. Yeah. yeah. John Pueblos lives in Glasgow. Right. So he's the most senior um, Lameco guy in the world. And he's incredible. He is a member of the British Council. He's kind of inactive. So if anyone's in Scotland and they want to learn a screamer, don't mess around with anyone else. Go and find John Pueblos in Scotland, in Glasgow. These nice. are guys I look up to, you know. 
Uh, One question, not to take any offence from this, but I've gone from like sort of you know being a striker to yep. picking up weapons, and I'm still useless on the ground. You, okay. you, you're amazing with weapons, amazing on the ground, but not an amazing striker. Is it, why is that not sort of um, played more of a role? Is it because you just feel like I'll always have a weapon? I can, you know. I guess it's people tend to do the stuff they like. Yeah, right. and it. I don't like getting punched in the face, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just got punched today. I, this, 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 this is this is totally true. I went to school in Wakefield, yeah, which is West Yorkshire, and then I yeah. went to sixth form in Barnsley, and I lit, and it was a big sixth form college, and I literally knew one person there. He was my best mate, but he was a year older than me, and so I didn't know anyone in my year at all. And we were playing like PE lesson, we were playing volleyball. And I'd been taught to play volleyball quite well. Not me good, but I knew what to do. And I kept hitting the ball to the same guy. And um, he was making him like a complete monkey. He hadn't got a clue what he was doing. And afterwards, I was getting changed. And he walked up to me like this. You know what it's like to have a lump hammer smacked in the kite? Kite is Yorkshire slang for uh, face. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, understand that at all. <laughs> all right, so do you know what it's like to have a hammer smashed into your face? Yeah. Right? I turned away from him, carried on turning around, and I sidekicked him straight in his face and knocked him down. And I stood over him, like, posing like Van Damme. I'd never, Van Damme didn't exist back then, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, uh, similar style. And said, is it about, <laughs> is it about like that? I said, is it about like that? And his friend who was backing him up ran away. Nothing else would have happened, but this kid was sitting, uh, getting changed next, just putting his shoes on. He goes, what the fuck was that? Was that fucking Bruce Lee or something? <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back into college the next day, not thinking about this, and people were genuinely like pointing at me. Going, it's, it's, it's him, it's him. Talking hushed tones about this psychopath who's in college with them. That's so, funny. And, you know, and I never had cause to learn to punch anyone because I was a, quite a good kicker. Yeah. And, I say about hurting my knee, I used to play in the second team of what was then the London Crusaders, became London Broncos, and I think they're called Harlequins now, Rugby League, not yeah, the yeah. team. And um, I was never going to get the first team, but I was making up numbers, I was having fun. And I wrecked my knee, I couldn't play with that anymore. And um, I joined an amateur team, and I started in the summer, I guess this is 95, and I went to summer training through August. I'm thinking, this is it, I can do it, I can do it. And this guy came back from his holidays. Now, I've been trained there for like three weeks. And this guy's been trained there for, I don't know how long he's been playing. And we're playing touch football, like, like tackle beer. Yeah. And I took the ball up into him. I ran the ball straight into him and knocked him over. And he was a lot bigger than me. He was like the size of Andy Jansen. Yeah. Okay, bigger probably. Yeah, big fat fucker. And he went straight over backwards, rolled over. And I stood there and smiled. And my smile was this. Shit, I can still do it. I can still run with the ball. I'm all right. He thought I was laughing at him. And yeah. he got up and went, come on, then, cunt, come on. And he wanted to fight me. So I dropped into my stance like I'm doing Laugar. And I remember my only thought was, shit, if I punch him, I'm going to make him angry and I can't kick him anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm bouncing, ah. saying, come on, you fat bastard. Come on, come on. Think you go hard like this. And one of his mates ran in and stopped it. And afterwards, they said to me, he was shitting himself. He was absolutely ah, shitting himself because he thought he picked on Bruce Lee. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at this point, I, I was like, I couldn't kick. And it was this was the time when I started, tra- I'd been trained with Pat for a couple of years. And I was, you know, that's really what spurred me into the slap. But 
I, th- I suppose the bottom line is I've got a judo background. I know I can fight on the floor. I can kick a bit. I've made my. I've worked on my legs a lot to make me stronger again, my knee. Um, that's why. That's probably why I do the casey stuff because um, I need to learn to punch a bit better, and I'm not very good at it. We don't normally do this, but I've got um, some questions from a combination of RA <laughs> black belts and some um, listeners. Let's put it that way. So uh, the first one is Carl Rain from New Zealand asks about your training habits. Do you limit your time? Do you leave gear around your house and pick it up for a few minutes, you know, and train? Do you train daily in FMA and do you set a focus or just add a little bit? Personal, tra- I train quite a lot. I tell me, I have people come around to my house. Before I was t- came on this interview, I'd just come from teaching a private lesson. And I'll have people come to my house quite often for lessons. I have a class every Thursday night. So I do train by myself, but my training by myself, the focus is always on footwork. That's Integrate. Awesome. Um, integration of hands and feet it's movement um, yeah I, I i put some videos up on the um rapid harness elite instructor group yeah. page yeah, yeah, yeah and i, I was in that. wales when i shot it and it's just moving and hitting and, co- and coordinating hands and feet i think it's the single most important bit i keep meaning to re-edit the video and put it on youtube or something but yeah because i'm not part of that group so it, 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 it. i will do in fact <laughs> you can I'll join get the gym, i think yeah, no, I, funny thing you say, and not to interrupt you, so I do, I spend a lot of time just working movement on the ground, standing with weapons, without weapons, moving left, right, right lead, you know, left lead, it doesn't matter, a lot of time, because um, I think it is so important, so many people cannot move efficiently, and then, then I go, well, I, I can't move like you, and I go, well, how often do you work it? Uh, never, well, fuck, there you go, brother, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not I mean- goddamn rocket science. I was, no, was going to say Andy Jansen says that he looks at people's feet in order yeah. to learn a move, and it's interesting okay. you were saying the focus of, on footwork and Jim was kind of echoing that. But it's, it, yeah, it's, it, it does all start from the ground up, right? Yeah, I think the important thing as well is to train with purpose. I see a lot of people, spare their footwork is a good example, just kind of bounce around randomly. And what I think people need to do is to is to school their feet properly and then always do it yeah and so i can remember seeing uh, um it was michael bisping fighting in the ufc yeah i used to know because when i was fighting the amateur valley tudo which is called ksbo i was the, the sort of number one contender as a light heavyweight he was the heavyweight champion okay but uh, watching him fighting something on the ufc and um the commentator said He's never going to be like um, as good as Anderson Silva because Anderson just moves around, whereas Bisping is counting in his head left, right, left, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now Bisping's really a nice guy and he's a good fighter. Yeah. But what I'm thinking, who do you want to aspire to be, Anderson Silva? I mean, technique-wise, right? Anderson Silva or Michael Bisping? Yeah. And so, to my mind. Most people can hit very hard when they stand still, or most people can hit hard when they stand still. And a lot of people can hit quite hard, but what you really need to do is hit hard when you're moving. Yeah. Okay. You hit hard when you're going backwards is a real test, I think, for most people. And so, personal training, I would, I do not have weaponry lying around my house, by the way, to answer Carl's other question. But I always have sticks handy. I'll often go out on my, on my patio and just move backward and forward. Um, changing directions using sticks or always train with sticks um to integrate my hands and my feet next question how have you seen ra evolve and why have you stuck with ra why have i stuck with it because it's the best thing around full stop 
there's others. Where, at one point, um, the other guy who founded uh, Rapid Iron East with Pat was John Harvey. He went his own way. Uh, I could have gone with him. I could have joined some other association. But it's it's kind of like, why why would I do that? Why would I stop throwing with Anderson Silva to go and throw Michael Bisping? You know, it's just, it is the best thing. But I've trained in plenty of other styles. I mean, I did at one point, or still, make it my business to go and train with the people who taught Pat. And I'm the kind of the only person who's done it. So I trained yeah. with Bill McGrath a bit. I've trained with Mikey Nay, this kind of thing. And so I've trained with plenty. Rapid Anise is really cool. It gives you like a, an open framework to train. So when I started doing Serada, I could already do a lot of it. I didn't know the specifics, but it fitted in so easily with what I was already doing that it made it really, really easy for me. So, I mean, the bottom line is I like the people who do it as well. I think you've got to be a bit... They're all nutters, aren't they? Yeah, if you think that uh, uh, most people watch TV or maybe watch football or something, if you think that a really great thing to do is go and fight people with sticks, there's something not quite normal, is it? You know, and uh, it's, it's uh, I like that. It's like rolling around the floor and people getting squashed. And I, th- I train on a Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And, um, you know, if that is a fun thing to do, it says you know, you're not quite right. <laughs> and so I don't know. That's what uh, so I still train with Rapid Anis because it's a great bunch of guys doing good stuff. And I feel like I've got something to offer to them as well. So there you go. Next question. Jake, the Russian asks, how do you approach recovery and injury prevention? The bottom line is, first and foremost, if you're recovering and you want to stop injuring, injuring yourself, eight hours of sleep. You have to. If you're not doing that, you, you're wasting your time. If you're younger, and I'm 48, and I've never had any really bad injuries from martial arts, apart from a rib injury, which my jiu-jitsu teacher gave me, David George. So um, <laughs> he tore a muscle off one of my ribs. So um, have plenty of sleep. It's important. Okay. Next thing, um, as well as doing other things, I learned a few years ago. I trained with Alan Orr. He taught me to be a massage therapist, a tween art therapist. So learn to deal with bruising and this sort of stuff. And I think the central thing to this is never do any training which is inherently injurious. Don't do things that are bad for you. So if you're going to do weight training, it's not something I'd do. Learn to lift properly so you're not hurting yeah. your back. Yeah. Okay. If you're going to run, learn to run on your forefoot so you reduce impact so you're not damaging your knees and your ankles. You know, that kind of thing. Train sensibly, okay? You do not need to go to war every time you train, okay? You have to do it sometimes, but it's not every lesson I'm going to have a five, you know, five full rounds of full contact tie boxing. It's just not sustainable for anybody. That leads us nicely into the next question. An anonymous RA black belt asks, What's it like being old as fuck and still actively beating people up with sticks and try and tying them up like pretzels? That's Cam's question. <laughs> Not naming any names. Um, <laughs> I, it's interesting because, you know, in various ways, I've, you know, jujitsu is the worst one. You feel like you've got a target on you if you're a higher belt. And being a higher belt but older means there's, there's, there's a trade-off there, you know? And so people are just trying to crush you all the time. There's a Polish guy I train with. I worked out one day, I'm older than his parents, right? And the next day I wake up, I feel like I've been run over. I guess he gets out of bed and kind of does that, and he's fine, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but it, yeah, you have to be, you have to do the right thing and have faith in what you do. I mean, the start, so it starts with knowing that I'm doing the right things. It's not doing some mumbo-jumbo, so like my footwork, the footwork I do when I train a screamer is always the same. It never changes. I don't vary it. I do um, 
what some people call a male triangle, I call a replacement step, which is a Serrata thing. And I know if I do that, I can kind of drive into people and they, and they find it difficult to deal with. And they'll be moving around me and I'm just, just adjusting to them. Okay. So it's, it's about being really precise and train with precision all the time. So I don't, you know, when I counter people in a screamer, I will never just sort of twirl my stick around in front of them. I always hit them in specific places. I'll hit their wrists, their hands, their elbows, shoulders, hips, these kind of things. Keep, you've got to do this, be precise, because then when you need to do it, you can. Okay. And so I suppose you could say train smart and all this kind of a bit of a cliche, but you have to be very sensible and practical i mean jiu-jitsu is a really great way of doing it because you can if you've got some guy who's a big guy who's always got a reputation for like crushing people and being rough well just don't train with him you don't need to you know train with sensible people you've given a very serious answer to a very non-serious question i like it (laughs) um randy schmanson asks what's the difference between arnis and arnis because you seem to be the only guy in our group that pronounces it like that okay in the Philippines, I think I, I, when I first started training, I always called it Arnis, but um, Arnis is what um, they say in the Philippines. So if you've got a Filipino accent, you say Arnis. We train Arnis, you know, and so I just that's what I just call it. To be fair, the all the Americans correct me on that one as well. Um, okay. Mr. J. Anson asks JB is big into Salat. Does he know why so many Salat practitioners are proper weirdos? <laughs> I think. It, I'd put Salat in the same category as ninjutsu. It kind of um, tends to attract people who are looking for something kind of out there, weird, strange, you know, blood ritual magics and all this kind of stuff. And let's be clear, there are very strange practices that go with it. So I kind of think if you look, if you wanted to learn some sort of magic, you wouldn't go and learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, it's just not part of it. But Salat, some styles have a reputation for peculiar practices so it just attracts the people who want to find the peculiar stuff okay korean listener yan son um asks do sarada guys get the piss taken out of them in the philippines because their sticks are so much shorter uh <laughs> i don't think there are any in the philippines because sarada is green it all comes from angel cabalas who was in stockton which is northern california kind of near san francisco that neck of the woods and that's where it comes from there's none of it back in the Philippines, so I guess probably. But um... All right, as the final question, so we've had the FMA Festival at the weekend. Uh, you are the chair of the British Council of Carly Eskrima and Arnis Instructors. Do you want to talk us a bit about that event, where that association's going? We've got okay. another event lined up for next year, I think in September. We've got the British Council of Carly Eskrima and Arnis Instructors, and this body's been going... I should know the date. I can't remember. It's been going about 10 years. And you've got a group of people who, say, 15 years ago, weren't talking to each other and didn't get on. Even though we're all the screamer guys, we're all doing, you know, we're not, it's not like we're that different. It's not the difference between a screamer and taekwondo. The difference between a Balintawak guy and um, a Dosi Paris guy is relatively small in the grand scheme of things. So Pat and a few others got together and managed to get people of all these different groups in together. It's a not, you don't have to pay to be a member. The P, the, the members, there are relatively few. There's, I've had to say about 20 members. And these are the best guys in each style in the country. And if there's another style of a streamer comes, some guy who's learned a different style and he wants to join, all he's got to do is come to the festival and we'll invite him or he'll contact us and we'll invite him and do a demonstration in front of the other teachers. And if we agree, this guy's good and he's got a reasonable lineage that kind of thing 
and he seems like a decent sort, we'll invite him to join. And that's that's how it goes. And then we, we every year we have an FMA festival, which um, was just like this last weekend. Next year, we're probably going to do it on the 20th, I think, that weekend around yeah. then, yeah. September. And what we do, we all get together and two days of training, a Saturday and a Sunday, maybe a little bit of sparring in the middle of that sort of thing. And we'll have three, four groups going at the same time. And so if you want to do knife stuff all day, you can. If you do double sticks all day, you probably can. And you can see the absolute best guys of each style and they all teach a bit and everyone gets to sit and have a chat and whatever else. And the students of one guy can see, oh, yeah, so what different people do. And I always teach them. I'm the rep for Serada, even though I'm one of the chief instructors of um, um, Rapid Anis because uh, I'm the Serada guy. And I only really know one of the good Serada guy in the country. So well, I know two, but I'm senior to one of them. So. Yeah, you're the main there man. So uh, thanks everyone for listening to Primal Radio. It's been another awesome show. Uh, my main man, John Broster, uh, Jim McCann having a bit of internet problems, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap up and uh, we'll be back next week for another awesome show. We'll also have uh, Doc Watson on at the weekend talking about boxing. Take care. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.